We're here today at the Career Pro podcast Zoom conference with David Rendell. Did I pronounce that correctly? One of the few to do it properly, yes. Well, I'm glad. And uh, we're, you're out of uh, Central Command, aren't you? Somewhere in North Carolina. We can't know where. Golds, Goldsboro, near, near the ridiculously named Seymour Johnson Air Force. Well, I was at a, this is important to this, this talk today. I was at a Green Bay Packers game this year in Green Bay, took my son for the first time, his graduation present. And, and it was very cool. It was very windy. The, they had people jumping in at halftime and flying all over the field because it was starting to snow and ice and running into walls. And guess who flew over uh, at the beginning of that game? From Seymour Johnson. Air oh, Force yeah. Base. Yeah, they're the ones who do the flyovers. Yeah, they're my neighbors. I mean, literally the next three houses down are, are Air Force pilots. I mean, that's yes. definitely my neighbors and friends. And uh, yeah, I mean, they all they all fly the jets. And when they do those flyovers at like the U.S. Open tennis and all sorts of crazy things. Yeah, those are my neighbors. It's crazy. I mean, I don't know how long it took him to get up there. But I mean, like, just the whole stands rocked. And I'm like, they're from North Carolina. It was. I think just... it takes about five and a half minutes in those jets. <laughs> you Man. could go. You could go from North Carolina to because they do flyovers over Washington D.C. and it's like they get up in the plane and it's like twenty-five minutes later they're they're in D.C. You know, so I would yeah, have to imagine Wisconsin's probably an hour and a half, maybe not even. No, but it was. You know, I wanted to rejoin the military at that moment, so they weren't. They wouldn't take me that night. And we saw a cool game and took us five hours to get back to Milwaukee or whatever in the, in the ice. But we're talking today at a pretty uh, intense time. It's not a military battlefield we're waging war on, but we're waging war against this virus thing, which maybe next year no one will talk about it and everyone will have forgotten. Although I don't think so. I think we're all going to at least be washing our hands a lot. But it's affected yeah. your business in a way. But do people still need motivation? Do they need training? Do they need inspiration right now? Maybe more than ever. Whether yeah, at their I mean, jobs or at question. Home. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think you answered your question. It's definitely now more than ever. The problem is what we need and what we seek out are oftentimes two different things, right? So when companies are in, in crisis, they cut back on training, they cut back on employee development, they focus on the basics and things like that. And oftentimes those kinds of things lost. So I think we need it just as much as we did before, but we don't always feel uh, that need and we don't always acknowledge that need. We don't always prioritize that need. It's just like we do as individuals. Sometimes we need to take a break for lunch. Sometimes we take a rest. Sometimes we need more sleep. And yet we feel like the work we have to do is a higher priority or this Netflix show we want to watch is a higher priority. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's still necessary. Um, but to be honest, I mean, let's let's be honest too. I mean, nobody declared my job essential in the in the federal emergency, right? Uh, you know, I think it it reminds us maybe that uh, a lot of things that people do we take for granted are pretty crucial. If if nobody was delivering your packages, if no one's picking up your trash, if no one is working at the grocery store, if no one is at the drive-through at the restaurant, um, a lot of us would be in big trouble. You know, it's not like any of us are making our own supplies and making our own food 
And, um, you know, if the transportation network shut down right now, we'd all be in trouble. So I think we're seeing that some, you know, uh, sometimes the people we place really high value on entertainers and celebrities and things like that don't actually contribute to our survival, right? Um, and so I think I have to be honest, and I and I always have been. I've told people for years, you know, the problem with my job is if there's a zombie apocalypse, and this is the closest we've gotten um, to a zombie apocalypse, you know, I'm not necessary and I don't have any real skills, right? It's not like, oh, I'll use my speaker skills to make fire or, <laughs> or, or, or to create uh, food. Um, you know, I'm a very, uh, what I do is very intangible and people can live their lives without it. Maybe their lives would be better, but yeah, I think we have to acknowledge what really, really matters for the basics. And right now it's not professional. Well, it's awfully important to have motivation. I certainly, I think I learned it from one of the, the old time classics, something like see you at the top, the Ziggler, one of my favorites. Um, I think you could only get it still in hardbound copy. It was like I know he and and I'm and others have said it, but motivation is not permanent. And uh, you know what it takes to get up in your own house and get stuff going. You you might be used to it, but a lot of people aren't right now. Do you think this trend uh, that's happened? We we saw more a record number. I think it was yesterday, and it, and fully announced today about three million people filing jobless claims. Uh, what does that say to you about what's going on and how vulnerable we are to technology, how vulnerable we are to a, seems like we get the flu every year, we don't go crazy, but this thing's got a different level. Um, how vulnerable are we at our jobs, at, at work, and, and beholden to, I guess, technology? Well, I think this is letting us know we're tremendously vulnerable, right? At least if if we place a really, really high value on safety and that we don't have basic things in place. And like you said, that we're not uh, taking things like washing our hands seriously on a daily basis. I mean, I travel for a living and when I'm in an airport bathroom, the number of <laughs> you know men that I see just walk straight out without even pretending to wash their hands. And then then take out the number of men who just throw their hands under some water with no soap and don't dry them with a paper towel, uh, the number of people who grab the door handle on the way out. I mean, it, we're so I, I don't even think it's the technology on a small scale. We're so interdependent on a global scale right now that there's no such thing as local. You know, I'm in some little rural town in eastern North Carolina. And yet, um, I've had contact with probably millions of people directly and indirectly when I go to the airport, right? And when I stay at the hotel, and when I get in an Uber, um, and when I go just the TSA line alone, right? That belt just runs thousands of people's of, and those people are coming from everywhere, and they're going to everywhere. So to try to, uh, you know, to try to separate ourselves in a world like this, I think is very, very uh, difficult. And I think it's reminding us the other lesson, how interdependent we are, right? How reliant we are. And I think that's, that's something I always used to teach. You know, I ask people, what's the most expensive part of your computer back when we had desktop PCs, you know, and everybody knew it was the monitor, or the CPU, depending on how nice their monitor was. And then I asked them how long they could function without a mouse. You know, I mean, you don't even really buy the mouse, um, but even on our computers now, what if your trackpad breaks down on your laptop, right? Like we're done. If we're you're done, um, you know, some of us still remember Control Alt F17, you know, to get 
the little function yeah. keys across the top, but but most people don't. And, and if the smallest part of that computer system broke down, the rest of it is worthless regardless of the value. And I think that's what we need to learn in this process is that we devalue a lot of people um, because there's a lot of them or because the work they do isn't super difficult or um, because it's not sexy or whatever. And yet it's crucial. And we need to, I think, appreciate that more and, and sometimes appreciate ourselves more because sometimes we're those, um, sometimes we're those people. You know, I think um, I, I probably over the years have taken my ability to provide for my family for granted. And this has called that all into question, right? So I think sometimes we're like, yeah, yeah, survival and then what? I think this maybe reminds us that survival is a pretty important thing. And if we're doing that well, we're doing better than a lot of people in the world sometimes. Oh, that's a great perspective to have. That's for sure. You know, I think you now have more material because I've, I don't want to give away some of your great material, but I have seen where you're riffing on, on the bathroom stuff. I mean, like, like I think you've gone beyond any Jerry Seinfeld bit that could go, uh, but I think you have now more material for that. I think you're going to add on to that, aren't you? Without giving yeah, away absolutely. any future talks. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we're There's looking no forward. We're looking forward. I know you're working on new material. You're not just sitting around getting through this virus, that's for sure. All right, let's go to the heart of the matter. What if I'm sitting at home, I'm doing these Zooms, I'm doing some things at home, I've, you know, we're, I'm practicing social distancing, but in, in my mind, I'm thinking, and our clients face this in outplacement, our clients face this as individuals, is my job, is my career, is my livelihood, could it be affected? What would you do with that thought process and what what would the freak factor brain need to how does the freak factor brain process that the proper way? Yeah, I think all of our livelihoods are are at risk. And I think we have to assume that all the time. You know, um, I've always had multiple jobs. I've always had multiple streams of revenue. Even right now, I've already um, started doing some uh, consulting and teaching for a university, which is what I used to do um, as a way to generate revenue. Um, it's the reason I started my own business um, because, you know, right now people are seeing that you're reliant on somebody to pay your bills. And when things go bad for them, you, you get pushed to the side and you can't feed your family. Um, so I think we all have to work under the assumption that every single day um, our jobs are at risk, our futures are at risk, our careers are at risk. They might become obsolete. I mean, we've all lived blockbuster video at the end of travel agents and, um, you know, the automating of all sorts of things and the complete elimination, at least from the US of industries like textiles and like that. Um, so I think I always work under the assumption. I, I think the way that ties into the freak factor is I think we have to think bigger about what we right. So mm -hmm. to your point, you know, do people still need to be motivated and inspired? Absolutely. Can I get paid to do a keynote right now? No, because they don't want you in groups of more than two unless it's family. So the question isn't, do people need a keynote? That's a subsection, right? Do people need entertainment? Absolutely. Or at least they're looking for it. I know. Do people need inspiration? Do people need motivation? Absolutely. And, and even I need that motivation, right? I mean, my, my world has been crushed just as much or more than anybody else's, and mine started faster. I mean, my events were getting canceled at the beginning of this month. Uh, some people are just starting to see how this might affect them. Some people still have jobs. 
uh, my thing just ended immediately, right? People just canceled all the events. My income went to absolute zero in a moment. Um, so I think we have to be ready to say, to define ourselves as bigger than the job we have, goal we have, work, and ask, what are my strengths? What is the value that I provide? What's the bigger picture about what that is? How do I help? How do I serve society? Uh, what is the value that I bring? And how can I do that in a different way? And that's what I'm doing here. I'm talking to you and I'm on a Zoom call. I'm not on a stage doing a keynote, um, but I, it has the same potential to help people, to reach people. It's just a different format, right? So we have to be open to new formats. We have to be open to new ways. Um, but I don't think fundamentally um, it changes who we are. It just changes the way we look at ourselves sometimes. So I think clarity about your strengths and weaknesses Clarity about how those interact with and match and fit with what the world needs. I think those are fundamentally the two things we should always be looking at, regardless of the economy. I think sometimes we get complacent and we think, I'm going to be fine, or it's not going to happen to me, or I'm safe, and no one's, no one's safe. And I think this, this just showed us that. In fact, the people who probably felt the safest, I'm a white-collar worker, I'm information society or experienced economy worker, I'm a high-level worker, I'm an educated worker. It's some of the people with the biggest qualifications that are, I mean, I have a doctorate. People with the biggest qualifications are the ones sitting at home right now. And meanwhile, if you're working the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, you're getting overtime. You know? <laughs> That's a perspective. So, right? Yeah. yeah I, so I, I, I think some people, we, and, and maybe it's ego, and, um, and maybe it is just that desire to feel like you're good or you're valuable. Uh, we've overstated uh, what makes you safe? What makes you insulated from from economic shocks? Now, on the other side of that, when the person wasn't in the drive-through at Chick-fil-A when they were a server at Outback Steakhouse, they're out of a job without even anybody saying they're out of a job because the restaurant can't allow anybody to come inside. And the difference in that case is oftentimes that person doesn't have a 401k to borrow from. They oftentimes don't have um, some home equity to create that cushion for them. Um, they don't have, oh, I'll just go work for a university like I used to, to fall back on. So the other side is when those, those people get hit, they get hit fast. And uh, they may not have the financial cushion that came from being a professional, right? Um, and, and just the, the protections of being... Uh, a full-time employee, uh, paid time off, and and uh, things like that, vacation time, um, and which is why I'm willing to make exceptions. Which I thought it was good the gesture toward gig economy workers that was in this recent bill. At least they're acknowledging people that are independent contractors to some degree, bringing them some money and saying, "Hey, that's an important part of our workforce." Uh, there could be some good things that come out of this too, uh, in terms of opportunity and a snapback. And I think people are going to be wanting to aggressively uh, grow and build their business. But I want to change a little bit. I wrote an article called "That's you know, a Modest CEO Proposal" about CEOs taking a little bit more, you know, big money people, not CEO of a small enterprise that's got to make payroll every month barely, but you know, they have accumulated great pay. And I, this isn't an attack on CEOs. It was just my modest proposal. I'd like your take on what's the responsibility of giant earners in this, in this kind of situation. To, uh, I referenced uh, 
undercover boss in my article, but what's your what what should the big companies do? We've seen some nice gestures from big companies, you know, two dollars more an hour at at different places and Target and some at all the. I like those kinds of moves, but what else can big company people that have really been blessed, we'll say, in this economy? Do you think there's some, a little bit more of this brings in a little more responsibility to them to, you know, carry those people, help them out, get them to their next job or get them to hold on? I know the government's acknowledged that. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I'll make it personal to begin with, because I think it's tough to tell other people what they should do. But I think this show you what I believe. Um, you know, I have a virtual assistant. She works out of the Philippines, and I pay 50% of her full-time salary. She's got two little kids, and um, he has to have this job in order to pay her bills. She's on total lockdown in the Philippines, like almost uh, martial law. Like, you cannot go outside. You can. Yeah, the leader of the Philippines. Yeah, it's serious over yeah. there. Yeah, it's a, diff- it's a difficult serious. situation there. If I tell her... You know, this few hundred dollars a month that I pay you, which again is puts her in the middle class in the Philippines, it's just too much for me right now. And I've got to cut you. She's my only employee. If I do that to protect my family, I'm completely destroying her family, even though the reality is I could pay her through the rest of the year and maybe have to dip into home equity line a little bit and I'd be fine. You know what I mean? Yes. And so that's what I've done. She's still working for me. I'm still paying her. We are still trying to find a way to make it economically viable because I feel like I have that responsibility. I feel like it's wrong for me to act as though we are in some kind of similar situation and that just because my income has been decreased, and to be clear, by 95% in the short term, that, you know, if I, if I let her go, I'm quite literally potentially causing her to not be able to put food on the table um, not, and not be able to pay her rent. And I don't think they're doing things in the Philippines that are so progressive, like don't pay your rent for a couple months, you'll be okay. Yeah, I don't think so. You know, she's potentially on the street with two small children. So I do think um, one of my, uh, one of my uh, guiding principles in life is, is the proverb um, that says, to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, And I think when you have, you know, even just so much money in investments that you could live a decent middle class life for the next 400 years, that you should be willing to sacrifice. And I think it's also a good leadership move, regardless of whether you should or shouldn't. If you want to build loyalty, if you want to build engagement, if you want to have your company succeed over the long term. I think now is a great time to show people that they're important, they're valuable, and that you're willing to live with less, even when that hardly means anything to you. And I think that's the thing that we just don't realize. I mean, when your compensation last year was $15 million, when your stock is worth $170 million, and even if it took a hit, you know, you could give, you know, $10,000 to each of your employees and not even feel it. Now, yeah, I do think People who, I mean, I've been struggling with this. Uh, my wife and I both have our own businesses. I travel a lot. And when I'm really busy, I'm barely at home. So we pay somebody to clean the house. If we tell her we don't need her, now she can't, she can't pay the bills. If we tell the guy who cuts the grass, we don't need him. And everybody else does that same thing right now. Nobody can afford to pay him to cut the grass. And we all have time at home to do our own. So I think 
you know, these things have consequences very quickly. I mean, I've been joking, but it's true. You know, I stopped flying because I can't speak anywhere and Delta Airlines went bankrupt. Um, you know, it, you're powerful. We know that. Yeah. When everybody stops flying to save money, when everybody stops traveling to save money, when nobody goes to the hotel um, because it's dangerous, when everybody's cutting costs. So even if they could go eat out, they wouldn't eat out because they can't afford to. They just need to buy groceries. Then the restaurants go out of business. And, and, and so I think we're seeing that cascade really, really fast. So I think all of us have the responsibility, big CEO or not, big money CEO or not, to look at the long term and to be unselfish. Um, and to not prioritize ourselves, whatever that means, us, our family, even our own business over the broader society. I think we have a, a responsibility to see what we can do to make the world a better place and to help anybody that we have. Um, that was another one I shared just last week. And again, it's from the Bible, regardless of whether people are religious or not, there's some good idea in there. And it says, do not withhold good from those who need it when it's in your power to act. Right. And I think that's a great um, that's a great guiding principle. When you have the ability, you have the resources, how can you sit there and watch people? Um, we, we do one of those. My wife and I and, and kids have done um, those uh, programs where you adopt a child from another country and you pay for their education and their food and, and their 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 edu their their care. Um, yeah, and it's it's like a the, lower than a basics. It's like a lower than a Starbucks budget per month to do even right. Like and that. so, but so it's still we, a commitment. We have three kids, so we do that for three people, and it ends up being about one hundred fifty dollars a month. Um, and my wife was saying, you know, hey, if we're cutting back, do we have to look at getting rid of this? And I'm like, no, that's their basic survival. You know, and it's that $150 a month is not our basic survival. We could, we could be more selective at the grocery store and save $150, you know. Um, so I, I think that's, again, having that sense of responsibility, feeling like when you have the resources, again, even if I have to borrow it, if I have to borrow money for the next couple months to pay my assistant, um, and that gets us through, gets her through these difficult times and keeps her from having a pretty serious negative financial event and allows her to keep taking care of her family. Um, I think that's my responsibility. I think it would be irresponsible, use the reverse word, for me to go, mm, I could really use that, you know, because my daughter's going to college and that's or whatever. I, I think I mean, I different just, issues. I, I, I love this philosophy because I've seen people um, <clears throat> take and hoard their way out of stress because we see it in a micro way here through outplacement, people missing, losing their job. And, and, and many of our clients are employed looking for that next great opportunity. But I've also seen people in a sense on faith, almost give their way out of a situation. They, they, they volunteer more, they read more, they express more. They, uh, I see a lot of our speaker friends and, and authors in your situation there. It's almost like they're on overdrive to give more right now. And, and it, it, isn't it funny how it comes back to you, regardless of your, your faith background? I've seen some of those people who have said, you know what, I'm not taking any more money from this particular pharmaceutical that I'm selling because I, I already know that it's done damage in a certain area. I'm going to resign from my job and before they shut us down and it's, they've lost their lease, they lost their computer, 
they, one of them had to downsize the house. And I said to him, I said, just, I said, what you're doing is not going to show up probably in a paper. And I won't use your name when I tell the story. But of course, a year and a half later, that person got an incredible position that they're still at. It's almost like they gave their way out of it instead of hoarded and, and pulled in at any level. And I'm not saying if you're in survival mode and you're listening to this, that's, this isn't for you. you got to survive. But I've seen people almost give their way out of things that doesn't make worldly sense. And that's yeah, a good, well, I don't, I think yeah. you can't tell people to do that, but I've seen people make that choice and it's always come back to them. Maybe not right away. Maybe they missed that money out of their, their 401k went from 2.4 million to, to 1.8 and they took money of that to keep giving. Honestly, I've, those people have always reported back to me that it's overflowed a year or two later. I mean, just that's my, and even if, my and even if it doesn't, overflow financially in the short term even or you can't track it it overflows psychologically i mean when you're okay. giving um you're giving it, 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 it feel you feel more powerful you don't feel hope you can't feel hopeless and helpless while you're helping somebody else it's not possible hmm. and so uh, you know one of my I, I work with a ton of entrepreneurs and this one lady down in San Antonio, her business before the pandemic, her business burned to the ground. Like one day she went in to go to work. Like literally burned to the ground. Her entire business, she runs a small business, it would just burn to the ground. Um, and uh, everything was destroyed and they were computer-based business. Um, and she had a few employees and um, she's trying to come out of that and then the pandemic hits, right? Mm -hmm. And so she's trying to rebuild I mean, just barely, it was just a couple months ago. And then all of this happens and things are getting really tough. And then it gets really tough for her husband's business. Um, so what is she busy doing during lockdown? She's like, man, all our local businesses are gonna, are gonna die. We gotta do something. So she designs some t-shirts, she sells the t-shirts, she takes them and she tells everybody this is what she's gonna do. She takes the money from selling the t-shirts she goes to the local businesses and buys gift cards for their business to, to give them immediate cash flow. Then she takes the gift cards to people in her community who don't have food, clothing, shelter, et cetera, gives them to them so they can go redeem them at those businesses and creates this cycle. Hmm. Meanwhile, her business burned to the ground. Her husband's business is struggling. Her, you know, uh, and I think she's even had some health challenges in there and some other stuff. It's just absolutely insane. I mean, I even noticed as soon as all of this started happening to me and I started watching my income just totally disappear and, and every day was another email of another cancellation and I was just watching you know, my, my livelihood disappear and not know when it was gonna come back. And even just as soon as I you know, got on my computer and started cutting unnecessary expenses, as soon as I went on my went online and started looking at automatic drafts from my bank account that weren't necessary and subscriptions that I didn't need anymore and reductions that we could make when I started looking at how much I had in my home equity line. As soon as I started taking action, I felt better. You can't be doing things, being active and feel usually hopeless and helpless at the same time. And when you're doing it for other people, um, uh, it has a powerful psychological effect in the short term. And I do think I do, I do believe 
And again, people could argue all day long. I do believe that over the long run, when you're a giver, and there's even a book about it, Give and Take by Adam Grant, that when you're a giver, um, it comes back to you. It, it just does. And you can't always know how or when, but if you trust that it will, I, I, I think that it will. Uh, and again, I do think it's, it's, it's sad that sometimes people who have the resources won't share them with people who don't. Well, there's, uh, there's great stories even in our community uh, of, of people doing that, of organizations like that. And I, I just feel like even the nonprofits of the world and so on probably need our help more now than, than ever. Uh, time, talents, money. And I think this is a, this, this is, 9-11 was this intense event that had repercussions for years and years. And I've seen, you know, many veterans and soldiers and others you know, and families pay the price and suffer and, and go through that. But it, but it became this very small percentage of our population. This health shakes you to the core. And maybe this is a, not just an opportunity to come up with better business or to snap back in a U-V-shaped recovery. Maybe this is a little bit of a checkup for all of us to make sure, you know, where can we give, what can we do about that? That's not the the typical dominant thinking, it's get the last roll of toilet paper, I think is the dominant thought, but some people are responding to stress, isn't that the point? And, and, and responding in ways that maybe they didn't know they had inside of them, this giving spirit and so on. So I hope we keep going in that direction, uh, wherever this takes us, even if we make the turn pretty soon. Uh, last question from me, uh, thank you so much, for being here today with us is inspiring. You are a big reader, believer in reading. You've got uh, great books and material that you put out. What can people do to improve themselves right now and take ownership of maybe a change they need to make, whether it's thinking about their career, thinking about things. You're really an advocate of taking in reading and, and, and really taking in new information right now and keep that thirst even after a this event passes, we hope soon. Yeah, I think the number one thing I would recommend, um, you know, I have a framework in my book that walks through a process. Um, and, but I think the one that's the most important because it's the starting point, it's the foundation is awareness, self-awareness. Um, and that's definitely a huge one for your industry. If somebody walks in and goes, you know, hey man, what's a good, what's a good job? No such thing as a good job. There's such thing as a good job for you, right? Um, it doesn't matter if actuary pays well. It doesn't matter if actuary is challenging. It doesn't matter if there's a lot of actuarial jobs available. The question is, would you be a good actuary? Would you enjoy it? Or would you, would you be demoralized and, and um, exhausted by just even the thought, which is how I feel about it? I mean, it's one of the reasons why an actuarial job is always available, because very few people are both good at it and interested in doing it. So to call it a good job is a misunderstanding. So I think the number one thing that people should be doing during times like this is just taking in external information. It's also studying themselves, trying to learn better about themselves. I always tell people, I don't even care if it's which Star Wars character are you on some Facebook assessment. Do the assessments, take the assessments, learn about yourself. Get feedback from people about who you are. Learn about your strengths and weaknesses. Even watch yourself right now. One of the things that's interesting that's happening right now is 
some kids who were bad at school when they had to go to school are demonstrating that they're very good at school when they're doing it online from home. And some of the kids who were very good at school when they went to school are really struggling to be good at school when school is at home because different environments call out different strengths. Some people who were good at work when they were working in the office are struggling at work right now from working from home. Some of the people who weren't that great at working in the office and didn't seem very focused or seem very engaged are doing very, very well now that they're at home. So that's part of the learning. Am I doing better at home? Am I doing better? What was I doing better in the office? Are my kids doing better? Those are awareness opportunities. Oh, wait a second. Maybe I should look for more opportunities to work independently. Maybe I should look for more opportunities to work remotely. Maybe I should look for more opportunities to work virtually. I'm good at this. I like this. Maybe, maybe if I had more control over my day like I have right now, uh, I could be in better shape because I didn't have to be in the office where I'd look silly if I went for a jog at 1030 in the morning. But right now, it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Um, I'm really good working late at night, and I can do that if I have more control over my schedule. Maybe I do want to start a business. Maybe that would work for me. I didn't know that. So I think looking for the opportunity to learn about yourself. Maybe you're doing really well during this time of crisis. Maybe people are looking at you going, wow, how do you stay so calm? Wow, do, how do you stay focused? Wow, how do you handle it? And you're like, I don't know, that's just me. I guess I just control the things I can control or whatever. And then you can say that, wow, in the future, it sounds like maybe I'm a person who needs to look for crises. Maybe I need to be an emergency manager. Maybe I need to look to be um, the person who handles these kinds of things. Maybe I need to be some kind of consultant goes into companies and helps them solve their, their serious problems. Maybe, maybe when everybody else is upset, I can bring a sense of calm to that situation that nobody else can. So I think the, the real key is to learn about ourselves and to see when we are doing our best and when we really thrive. And I think this is a natural experiment. People are being thrown into situations that they wouldn't normally be in, uh, even when it's not unemployment. And it's an opportunity, but, but even if it is, and, you, and you're, you're nowhere to some extent right now, I think those are the best questions to be asking. Who am I? And how do I find opportunities in this world that fit who I am? Um, not what's out there or what do people need or what can I do? I think it's who am I and how do I match that? I think that match is so, so crucial. I, I love my work. I couldn't love it any more than I do, but there's, 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 the majority of people on this entire world do not want to be a keynote speaker and be on stage in front of hundreds of people. When I'm doing a speech, it is the vast majority of people who are looking at that and enjoying it, hopefully, and going, I'm so glad that's Never. not me. They're not all sitting there going, oh, wouldn't that be awesome? And even the travel and all the flying and the hotels and the Ubers, there's a lot of people who think, oh, that's glamorous and that's exciting and I'd love to travel more. And there's a lot of people who are going, I am so glad that I drive to work. I drive home and I'm so glad I don't have to get on planes, go through airports and get in taxis. Not for me. And that's what we have to do. It doesn't have to be good or bad. It's, is it for you or is it not for you? And you have to know yourself to be able to answer that question. And I don't think enough of us spend enough time on that. That's what I would encourage people to do during this time is find ways. Go, there's all sorts of free assessments online and things like that. Learn about yourself, read books, uh, that give you opportunity to evaluate yourself and understand yourself. I think that's what we spend our time and energy on when we're when we're in when we're in a forced break anyway. This is awesome. I got one last bonus question for kids. Freak factor for kids. I know that's a passion for you. 
Um, what's the message to kids who've had their lives disrupted? They might be even feeling a little depressed right now. Similar message, I assume, but give us that and you'll have the last word on that question. Yeah, I mean, the freak factor, for those who don't know, is based on the idea that our weaknesses could also be strengths, you know, that I was always in trouble my whole life because I couldn't sit still and be quiet and do what I was told. And now I get paid to stand up and talk and run my own business. So all of my weaknesses turned out to be strengths. And that same thing is true for our kids, you know, and it's environmentally related. So I think that's the message for kids is right now as parents and also for kids be looking for what's working for me right now. Do I like waking up a little bit later? Am I good at doing the learning online? Um, do I like when I can have more time to be active? Do I like having more time on my own? Or like you said, if it's going poorly, you're learning, ooh, I really do value being with other people a lot. That is a key part of who I am. And as I think about my future and I think about what I'm good at, learning in teams is good for me. Working in partnership with others is good for me. Uh, working jobs where I have the opportunity to interact with other people is good for me. Picking a career and, uh, and lines of study that allow me to connect with other people or people are learning, awesome. I love to be alone. How can I do more of that? You know, can I do computer programming where I can just put on the headphones and put my head down and go for it? Can I work from home? Can I do something independent, like be an author? So I think for kids, it's, it's, a, it's the same kind of thing. It's what can you learn from this experience? And if what you're learning is it really, really sucks, is what does that say about you and who you are and the kinds of situations where you thrive? And how can you look to put yourself in those kinds of situations where you thrive? Um, my, my middle daughter, this isn't weird for her at all because she's been doing online um, schooling for the last two years. Um, and she'll do her entire high school experience and she absolutely loves it. And so her life hasn't changed at all because online school didn't get canceled. And her life, except for the fact that they canceled her gymnastics, same as it, as it used to be, that's a really good fit for her. My youngest daughter's going insane because she's a massive, massive, massive extrovert. And she, she basically spends the entire day on FaceTime. I mean, she doesn't even like we're doing, we're interacting on FaceTime. She just like puts it with one of her friends. And they just like live their day together. Like sometimes they're not even talking. Sometimes they just leave the iPad in the kitchen and go do something else. They like just thrives on connection. Homeschool, online school is not the thing for her. Um, so I think again, as and I think as parents, we should be helping our kids through this time to, to help them learn more about who they are based on their reaction to this, whether they love responding to that challenge, whether they love learning those new things, whether they love um, learning a new way to learn, um, or whether they really like routine and they really like structure and they really like security. Um, and to see that some kids are unfazed by this crisis, whereas other kids are going to be very emotionally affected. Um, and so I think we really need to support and empathize and understand our kids during this time and not try to force them to take our perspective or force them to toughen up or force them to see the big picture. At least they didn't have to go to war. I think that's all a bunch of nonsense because most of us didn't have to go to war either. So settle down. Um, I think we need to be supportive and try to learn more about our kids and help them understand more about themselves during this difficult time. David Rendell, great message today. Get his books on Amazon. Get, book him out for 2021 20, and 22. And hopefully we can talk to you soon again. Thanks a lot, man.